Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Great day, Dad to our dads. Happy Father's Day. We hope you are having a great day and you'll have a great afternoon as well. We're continuing our series called Wild Thing, and we're looking at a guy named Elisha today. And uh, the story is in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll look at it in a moment. And uh, a lot of people get confused with Elijah or Elisha. Elijah came first. Elisha came second. But Elisha, in his own right, was an incredible prophet who uh, moved in bold faith and did some wild things for God. But he was able to mentor and then pass on to Elisha. And Elisha, we know, wanted the double portion of everything that was happening in Elijah's life. And Elisha, here's what I need you to know. Elisha performed more recorded miracles. Now the key word is recorded miracles because the disciples did some great things. But as far as recorded miracles, there are more recorded miracles that Elisha did with the exception of Jesus Christ. So you can read in the New Testament all the recorded miracles of Jesus. But Elisha is the second with most recorded miracles. But here's the interesting thing. He's just an ordinary guy. That gives us hope, right? He was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't the son of some popular uh, politician at the time. He was pretty much a nobody. He wasn't a spiritual giant. He was just an ordinary guy who was living at home with his parents and working on their farm. So here we'll pick up the story. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. They ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Notice verse 19. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. He's doing the same job day in and day out. He's working on his parents' farm, and he's driving a yoke of oxen. It's like the movie Groundhog Day, right? Just a time loop that's going over and over and over again. And to some of us, that's a funny movie. To others, it's a nightmare. Like if you're in sales, right? You got goals. You're working hard, day in and day out. You get to the end of the month, and you celebrate, you reach the goal. And the first of the month comes, and you have to start all over again with that same level of pressure. It's a time loop. Or maybe you have kids, you know, and every night is the same. You're picking up toys, you're doing laundry, and you're doing dishes. You're picking up toys, you're doing laundry, and you're doing dishes. And it's like a time loop, and you can all of a sudden find yourself losing passion. But here's what I found. Being faithful in small things is important to God. 
God takes notice of people who are faithful in doing small things. Faithfulness in small things. This is where Elisha was. He is just faithfully plowing the fields. And here's what I believe. Being faithful in small things is just a setup to God giving you greater things. And that's actually in the Bible, that God tells us that if you're faithful with little, He'll give you more responsibility. He'll give you much more opportunity. Faithfulness is important to what God has for you. So God is getting ready to move in this faithful man named Elisha and to get him to tap into his wild side. He's about to become a wild thing. Here's what happens. Elijah comes, the first Elijah, second Elijah, and he throws a covering over him. Now, what does that mean? Elijah threw his covering over Elisha. What it means is that he threw a coat, a cloak made out of animal skin or fur. He threw it over Elisha. But here's what it means. It was a covering, just like in Acts when he says that you will be clothed with power from on high. You know when the grace of God is on your life. You know when the power of God is on your life to accomplish something. And that cloak, that covering is like the power of God. And Elijah is saying to Elisha, the grace that was on me is now going to be on you. The power of God that has been on me is now going to be on you. The anointing of God that's on my life is now going to be on your life. And if we're going to experience what we call greater grace, greater anointing, God's greater work in our life, then we've got to do some of the things that Elisha's done. And the first thing you notice that Elisha's done is that he quickly obeys without knowing all the details. So that's the first thing. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to know all the details. When God calls you to do something, He doesn't always give you all the details and all the facts. He kind of leaves Elisha out of all the details to get him to step into it. And verse 20 says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He left the oxen and he immediately obeys and he runs after Elisha. And Elisha says to him, can I go say goodbye to my parents? And Elijah, it sounds like a rebuke at first, but Elijah says to him, go ahead, just don't forget what has just happened to you, that this cloak of anointing has been put on you. So Elisha believes God, that God is in this, and he immediately steps into obeying God. Now, this fits my personality. It may not fit your personality, but if it's my personality, because my personality is a feeler. And in my life and in my journey, if I feel like God is in something, I immediately go for it. I immediately go for it. That's my personality. And, uh, and, 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 and one of the ways that I've done this is uh, we planted some churches. And when the church came to us, it was down to like 30 people in Quakertown. It said, would you consider revitalizing us? I quickly jumped at it. Before I really brought everybody else on board, I said, this is God. We're going for it. Then I got back into the leadership meetings where people were asking me the pros and cons. But by that time, I was knee-deep in this thing. And when my leadership team said to me, Pastor, because I was challenging 100 people to go and help us get this church off the ground. We were running about 800 some people at the time, so 100 people to go. And one of the guys on the leadership team said, Pastor, did you think about what will happen 
If 100 people leave here, 100 people with gifts and talents, people disappearing from the parking lot, people disappearing from serving the kids, and people disappearing with their money. Did you think about what's going to happen? And I said to them, and I wasn't being a smart aleck, it was the truth of my, I said, listen, here's what I think. If we have two life-giving churches in two different cities, we win. And they like that answer. But I need people in my life who ask me the tough question because I'm usually going for something and sometimes I don't even think it through. I'm just going for it because I don't have to always know all the answers. But here's the thing. Think about this for a moment. God rarely gives us all the details. Because if He gave us all the details and told us, you're going to do this, it's going to get hard, some people are going to get mad, you're going to be in a situation where you don't know what to do, you're going to have some setbacks and some delays, we wouldn't show up. If God gave us all the details, we would not show up. It's like after 38 years, I left a great church to jump into a new job. Nobody told me about COVID. Nobody told me I would be off the road where I got to hang out with pastors every day and encourage pastors and raising money for scholarships for students. Nobody told me for over a year I'd be locked in my office trying to get guys to return my phone call because nobody wanted to talk on the phone. See, if God gave me all the details, I might not have shown up. So he just said, this is the next chapter. Step into it. And he does it for us. He gives us sometimes just a simple one-word answer. And let me just show you this in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, God will give you one word sometimes, and he's, he's counting on you to have the kind of faith to go after it. Father Abraham, right? We would call him, he's our spiritual father, our father of faith, Father Abraham. The Bible, came, the, the, the Bible tells us that God came to him one day and said to him, go, pack up, leave where you live, go. And he didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, start moving and I'll direct you. And the Bible says he went not knowing where he was going. Think about the disciples, right? They're in the middle of the storm when Jesus comes walking to them on water. When they realized it wasn't a ghost, but in fact it was Jesus, Peter said, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus gave him one word, come. And he stepped out of the boat and he walked on water until he saw the rest of the details and started to sink, right? But he walked on water. One word, come. Today, maybe you're here. Because if you're married, marriage isn't always smooth. Marriage takes work. Sometimes you're not clicking. Sometimes you're not communicating. And you, and you think to yourself, if this is as good as it gets, I might as well bail on this now and be done with this. And God will give you one word, and the word is stay. Show up, be loving, be kind, be patient, stay. One word, stay. Now, I told you my personality is I am going for stuff all the time. I don't have to have all the details, but I'm married to a planner. She's driven by detail. She has a list. If people are coming to her house for dinner, she's not happy until she has the list of the meal and the list of how we're setting it up. And we go to the store and we make sure everything that's on the list, we buy at the store. She likes st strategic planning. She likes a five-year plan. I don't want to get locked in because God could show up at any moment because one of my favorite statements is the best opportunities in life happen at the intersection of the unexpected and interruption. I'm living flexible because at any moment God could show up and say, this is next and I don't want to miss anything. But she likes details 
If you looked up our personalities, you put her personality alongside my personality, there would be a footnote that says, these people, these two people should never get married. But here we are, 43 years later, we figure out how to make it work, and we've had more good days than bad days. And when we've had tough times, I could hear God just saying, stay, be the man, show up, be loving and kind, and just stay. A lot of people know the, the Morning Star story where I pastored for 38 years. They know about the growth. They know about the churches we planted. They know about the wells that we dug. They know that, you know, 38 years, and that's kind of unheard of in a lot of circles, 38 years. But what people don't know is the first seven years were torture. It took me seven years to break 100. Now, you're in a church that's always growing, always changing, new faces all the time. How would you like to be somewhere for seven years? You know, you went from 30 to 40. You knew every face. You knew every time there was a visitor. It was torture. Seven years. And all I could hear God saying when I wanted to leave was stay, stay. And after that seventh year, it really started moving. Maybe you're here today and Physically, you've got some things going on, and, and I know how it is when all of a sudden you've got an ache or pain, and then your mind, your imagination starts going, and all of a sudden you've got a tumor, you're going to die, and all this, you know how your mind goes, and, and, and God is saying to you, yeah, I know you've got some things on your plate physically right now, but here's the word I want you to have, trust, trust me, trust me, I'll get you to the right people, I'll get you the right answers, just trust me. Maybe you're here today and God has given you a business idea and you're trying to figure out how's all this going to work, where's the money going to come from, and God gave you one word, just start. Just start. Find somebody who's in business and talk to them about how they started. Just start that business. Or maybe you're here today and you're still single, right? And you're dating somebody and there's a whole lot of drama going on and it's going to be nothing but a fixer-upper the rest of your life and God has given you one word today, leave. I've got somebody better for you. I've got somebody better for you. You can leave now before you get down to the altar and you make promises to death to us part. Leave. I've got somebody better for you. I don't know what the one word is, but God gives you one word and you obey that word not knowing all the details. So, so Elisha, he left the prophet for a moment, went back and he slaughters the oxen. He breaks up all the plowing equipment and he starts a fire and he cooks the meat, and he gives it out to people, and then he leaves it. I, I love this, because this is, this is like wild. This is like when you get into wild stuff. Your faith leads you to somewhere where you do something. I mean, think, the Bible doesn't say this, but, but probably his parents owned those oxen, and they, and they owned all that farming equipment too. But he breaks it up, and he carves up some nice juicy steaks. He invites all of his buddies and friends to come for a cookout. He's throwing himself a going-away party. And then he leaves. He goes with Elijah. I love that side of him being wild. So he burns the plows. Here's the second thing I want you to notice too, because if we're going to do what Elijah did, we've got to step into it and obey, not understanding all the details. But the next thing he does is he holds on to things lightly. There is a, a monkey trap, right? And it's kind of like the shape like a bird cage, but it's made out of bamboo or something like that, twine or whatever, uh, vines and and, and, and there's a small little opening, big enough for the monkey to put his open hand into it. But once he gets his hand in there, he goes for the banana. And he closes his fist. Now he can't get out. And some of you feel like you're like trapped and you're locked in. And you're saying, God, what is the next thing? And God is saying to you, getting into the next thing is as easy as holding on to things lightly. Open your hand, let it go, and slip out of that and watch what I'll do next in your life. Holding on to things lightly. There was a young man whose father was a su successful businessman. 
made tons of money. And like most fathers, I can understand this as a father. I want my, my sons to pick up the business and take it, my daughters or whatever. And so the father comes to his son. He said, listen, he said, I want you to take over the business. I'm going to make you rich. It's going to be wonderful. But he had a dream inside to pour into the next generation. He wanted to really be a teacher. And he wanted to coach basketball. That's what he wanted to do. But he said yes to his father. And he takes over the business. But he was really, really good at it. He was successful. But he was miserable. And so he finally got the courage to go to his father. And this is Father's Day. We honor our fathers. He went to his father. And he said to his dad, Dad, you know, I love you. And I really respect you. In fact, you're one of my heroes. But I can't do this anymore. It can't just be about making money. Though we need to live and we need to make money. He said, Dad, I'm giving it all back to you to go after what I believe God's calling me to do. Today, he's a school teacher and he is coaching basketball. He is preparing the next generation. You'll find out in the purpose that God wants you to live really is not necessarily about you. It's about other people. It's about the next generation. Many times God will use you and you'll be in his destiny. You'll have arrived at your destination doing what he called you to do, what he purposed you to do. And it's about other people. And so he is living his dream today and going after that. Let's just look at a few things on the wild side of Elisha's life. So he holds on to things lightly. He makes the decision to go for it, not knowing and understanding all the details. But let me just show you some of the things that he went through. The first story has to do with a woman who had two boys. She was married, but her husband all of a sudden unexpectedly died. The Bible tells us that he was a good man. He was a godly man. He loved his family, but he was lousy with finances. Anybody know what I mean? He's just lousy with finances. So he died, and he left them desperately broke. In fact, they were so broke, the man they owed money to was coming to get the two sons, and they were going to work for him until they paid off every last penny. So the woman goes to the prophet Elisha, and she says to Elisha, help me. And he says, how can I help you? He says, what do you have in your house? And she says, nothing except a picture with a little bit of oil. And he says to her, okay, here's what you do. Go up and down the streets into every house and ask people to give you empty jars and empty bowls. And don't just get a few, get as many as you can get. And then he said, after you get them, lock the door and start pouring oil into each bowl. She locked the door. She got a bunch of vessels and she started filling them up. The first one filled up. Then the second one filled up. Then the third, the fourth, the fifth. And she keeps having her sons bring another vessel, fills it up, puts it to the side. Pretty soon the house is filled wall to wall with jars and bowls filled with oil, costly oil. And then she says to her son, bring me one more bowl. And he said, there are no more. And the Bible says the oil stopped. The miracle stopped. Now, it wouldn't be the first time in the Bible that we have the miracle of multiplication because Jesus did the five loaves and two fishes, right? He fed 5,000. And here's what I want you to know today. If he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it once, as you read the Bible, keep that in mind. If he did it once, he can do it again. He can do it again. And that's a wild story, right? He's living on the wild side. Now, it wasn't necessarily about him, but God used him in his purpose to bless that family. Here's another story. He is uh, involved with a family that they became friends from a place called Schumann. The Schumannite woman, you might remember the story like that, but Schumann. So this family loves his ministry, appreciates what he does. 
they decided they're going to build an addition on their house. So they build a room on top of the roof. And in the room, they put a bed, they put a chair, they put a desk, they put a lamp. And every time Elisha came into that area, he would stay there. It was his home away from home. Elisha said to a servant, Gehazi, one time, this family is so good to us. I mean, what can we do to say thank you? And Gehazi said, well, they have everything. They're well off. But what they don't have are children. And the Bible says that the man is pretty old, beyond the possibility of having children. But Elisha went to her and said to her, by this time next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. She thought it was a cruel joke at first. Why are you trying to get my hopes up? This is just a fantasy. could never happen. But sure enough, the next year, she had a boy, and she was nursing her son. He grew up to be a strong boy. But one day, the story says, the Bible says, that he was out in the fields. His father was working in the fields. He went out to his father, and he started complaining, my head, my head, my head. And the father carries him in, carries him home to his mother. She puts him on her lap just to comfort him. And by noon, the Bible says he died. She carries his lifeless body up into the prophet's room and puts him in the prophet's bed. She tells her hired hand, saddle the donkey and don't stop until we get to the prophet Elisha. She gets to the prophet Elisha and she says to Elisha, my son has died. I told you not to play a cruel joke on me. Why did you give me false hope? And Elisha said to Gehazi, run ahead of us and put my staff on the boy's body but still no life. But I love the tenacity of this woman because she turned to Elisha and she said to him, the staff's not good enough. I'm not leaving here without you. You're coming home. And so Elisha came home. He walked up into that room and he closed the door, just him and that little boy. The Bible says he started pacing. Started bombarding heaven. God, raise up this boy. Bring life back into this boy. Raise him up, Lord. And then he did something kind of odd, but he did it. By faith, he laid on that boy. He put his hands on the boy's hands, his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on the boy's eyes. And he declared life to come back into that boy. He wasn't quite alive, but his body was starting to warm up. So he started pacing the room again, started calling down. Then he'd stretch out. God raised up this boy. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he did that, how much time passed by, how many times he paced the floor and declared life to come back into this boy. But eventually the boy sneezed seven times. I don't know what the seven means. He could have been sneezing out doubt, sneezing out unbelief, the criticalness, people saying it can never happen, doesn't happen in our day. Who knows what he was sneezing out? But after the seventh sneeze, he was fully alive. And Elisha takes him down to his mother. Now, it's not the last time Elisha's old bones would raise somebody from the dead. You can find these stories in the Bible for yourself. One day, two guys are burying their friend. The Bible doesn't tell us how he died, but they're burying their friend. When they look up and they see two enemy raiders coming, so they run for their life. And they take his body and they throw his body into Elisha's tomb. Elisha's gone. But somehow there's still the residue of the power of God on even his bones. And the Bible says when that dead man's bones touched Elisha's bones, he came back to life. And I don't know if you can picture this or not, 
But he comes running out of that grave and he comes running for his friends. Hey, fellas, wait up for me. Now I know we think to ourselves, will I ever experience multiplication? Will I ever experience being someone's life, wanting God to use me so much that supernatural miracles happen like that? And you know, we get way caught up with that. I mean, I still believe if God did it once, he can do it again. That's what I believe. Have I experienced that in my life? No, but I've experienced other moments in my life where God gave me one word, I obeyed him, and supernatural stuff happened. Let me give you an example because I want to bring it down to where you live. In fact, God's going to do something in your life, I believe it, to get you into the wild side. And it may go something like this. I was in my office. I was a pastor. This has gone back several years. Back then, we used to get a lot of newsletters and DVDs. Anybody remember DVDs? We used to get DVDs from missionaries. And so I had a whole stack of correspondence that came from the missionaries that we supported. And, and, and sometimes I would read them, and sometimes I would just stack them, and then I would get to them when I had time. And so this was one of those days where I just finished a project, and I didn't want to get into something else. So I picked up the DVD. And I took that DVD and I walked out of my office and behind the stage, because back behind the stage was a big old fat TV. Remember those? Big old fat TV that had a built-in DVD player. So I put that DVD in there. I turned it on. I got a chair and I sat down and I watched a three-minute, three-minute DVD that changed my life forever. And here's what it was. I was watching little boys and little girls from Africa who were walking. They should have been playing. They should have been in school, but they were walking with yellow containers to collect filthy, dirty waters. I saw them bending down into a muddy little puddle, gathering filthy water, and God got my attention. My heart started to soften toward that, and then the words came up on the screen that changed my life forever. Every day, 6,000 African children die of waterborne diseases. And a cry came into my heart. It was my one word moment from God that God wanted me to obey. And the scream and cry in my heart came up, unacceptable. This is unacceptable. It's not right that I can go every day and open up the faucet and take some clean water, not knowing I will not get sick when someone across miles away are getting sick. We've got to do something about it. And I knew I couldn't change the whole world, but I could do the starfish thing and I can dig one well at a time. So we set a goal. I talked to the leadership and said, we're going to dig 14 wells by the year 2020. We're going to do it. And you know what? It was easy at first because, you know, raising 10,000, 12,000, 13,000 until all of a sudden I got connected to, to, to people in Tanzania who lived in the bush. I mean, it would take you five hours to go 40 miles through rough terrain to get into the bush and we went into the bush and in the bush they have they actually had solar generated wells you'd see all the solar equipment you'd see that fenced in 100 miles not 100 miles 100 feet away you'd see the fresh running water flowing all day long as people came and filled up their carts their containers and then then because their currency was goats that's how they pay for things if they need something they'd sell a goat then about, about 100 yards from that fresh water was an overflow where there's a pond of clean water for their goats. But the story didn't stop there because once the well is dug, someone comes in and builds a school. All of a sudden, this village comes alive. And, and, then, and then the Assemblies of God, which we're a part of the Assemblies of God, would go in there and build a church. Now, if you looked up the togas, check it out later on. Google the togas. 
If you look up the word Datogas, they're an unreached people group. They don't, they haven't had a clear gospel presentation of Jesus Christ. But because we started digging wells in this in this bush, we also built churches. And I was there one Sunday, Sunday morning in 2018. I was there when we when we were in a church where there were 60 Datogas who had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And that Sunday, I didn't understand one word that was being preached. I didn't even understand one song that was being sung. But I knew it when I saw it, when three people raised their hands and gave their life to Jesus. Three more Datogas gave their life to Christ. See, that's what I'm talking about. you got to bring it down from the big Bible stories, the big moments in life that they could happen, but they might not happen that way. But then you bring it down where God uses your life. Was it about me? It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about me using maybe some influence to gather a group of people to do something to change the situation in the world. And here's what I discovered. God will often break your heart about something in the world that breaks his heart. That broke the heart of God. Children gathering filthy, dirty water. And he reached down on that day and broke my heart and broke other hearts. So here's what I'm saying. Maybe one day God will say to you, like we talked about before, about people getting divorced, people you worship within church, and all of a sudden something happens. They start starts going haywire, and pretty soon they're separate, and then they're divorced. And all of a sudden one day you're thinking about it, and all of a sudden you have this moment with God where God wrecks your heart over something that wrecks his heart. And now you can't stand the pain of seeing one more of your friends, your the, the couples that you know that you love, get a divorce. And so you'll make yourself available and you say, you know what, I'll be a part of a small group. I'll get I'll do whatever I can do to save one more marriage for Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe you can't stand. Maybe he'll wreck your heart over, wreck your heart over couples that are living on the edge of financial ruin. They, they don't, they didn't have the principles. They didn't, were raised in a family where they were taught to live with less debt and save more money. And, and so you'll get involved with maybe something like financial peace, and you'll say, you know what? I'll gladly teach a course like financial peace to help people put more margin in their life and live a different way. Or maybe it's sex trafficking. I don't know what it will be. But be open, and it could come out of the clear blue in your mind in your own business, and all you're doing is surfing the channel on the TV, and all of a sudden, God will say, stop. And you'll watch that, and it'll break your heart. God will let you feel what his heart feels like about that situation. And God will give you one word, and you'll just start. And you'll be amazed about how many people you influence, and they'll join you, and they'll partner, because you can't do it by yourself. It's just amazing how one simple act of obedience can broaden this whole thing. And all you got to do is obey without understanding all the details. Just go after God. And then hold on to things lightly because some things really don't matter to go after what He has for you. So we stand with me as we bring this in for close and we pray. And I don't want to close this service without giving someone an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And just like we talked about, your heart is tugging from the worship to all that you heard. Something has been saying, there's something in this place. This is something I need. But then your mind starts going to work and saying, you know, I don't even understand Christianity. I don't even understand what I'm getting myself into. But you're not going to go there. You're going to just go to the simple fact that you need what you feel in this place. And what you need is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is coming to you today and he's inviting you 
to turn your life over to him. And you'll just simply say to him, come Jesus, come into my life. Because here's what I know. You can't live out a purpose-driven life. You can't find your purpose in life without God. Because the Bible says very clearly that everything, absolutely everything got started in him. He's the creator. It started in him and finds its purpose in him. You can only find your purpose in God through Jesus Christ. So as our heads are bowed and we're praying and we're about to pray together as we close our day today, quickly all over this place, maybe you're here and you'll just take a, just a split moment to raise your hand and say, Pastor, remember me in prayer as, I, as you pray today because I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn my life over to Christ. I'm scanning all over the place. If that's you, just quickly raise your hand and say, today is my day. Today I make a decision. Today I surrender my life to Jesus. Simply pray something like this today. Just simply say, Jesus, here I am. Would you step into my life today? Would you bring in your forgiveness? Because obviously I've been separated from you because I've been doing my thing, living in sin. But today, I want you to come and forgive me and cleanse me. And don't stop there, Jesus. Bring in your grace. Bring in the strength that I need to every single day get up and start doing the right thing, the thing that honors you and pleases you. And I walk out of this place today giving my life to you, but knowing that I'm going to start walking it out day by day and week by week. It's a growing process and I'm going to enjoy the journey with you. And then I believe that the rest of my life in Jesus will be the best of my life. That's just what I believe. It's going to be great. Maybe not every day. Maybe some days I'll get up and just do the right thing. But I thank you, Jesus, for coming in. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment and thank God for those that are coming to Christ whose lives are being changed. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.